Amen. Good morning, City Light. Oh, that was kind of weak, guys. Jeez, good morning, City Light. Yes, I like that better. Jordan, I'm sorry wherever you went. If you share a stand with me, it goes all the way down, okay? You're going to have to adjust that when you get back up here. Uh, Well, this is a good day. Uh, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. I don't know if you know this, but yesterday was a big day for the city of Council Bluffs. There were something like 20 churches that got together to serve the city in unity at a thing that they called Serve Fest. You guys get to do this? It was awesome. They did all kinds of things, Uh, built uh, houses with Habitat for Humanity. They cleaned parks and roadways and all kinds of other things. It was incredible. And what I think is incredible about things like that is that the Bible says that Jesus came not to serve, but, uh, excuse me, not to be served, uh, but to serve. And so when churches get together in unity and serve, they're literally showing the world what Jesus is like. And that's pretty incredible uh, when we can set aside our differences, join up together, and serve together. So if you got to participate yesterday in Serve Fest, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for cleaning Fairmount Park and uh, wearing an orange t-shirt and joining us. If you didn't get to do that yesterday and you want to find ways to show the world what Jesus is like, to serve like he did and other things, uh, then I just encourage you, jump into a city group. All right, city groups, all of them have a regular rhythm of service, and uh, Surf Fest happens once a year, but city groups serve all year long. It's incredible. They, uh, that's part of our DNA, who we are, what makes us City Light Church. Um, so enough about yesterday. Um, we have a, a few other parts of our DNA. One of those is that we just preach the gospel of Jesus Christ straight from the Bible. Uh, that's why we're here this morning. And so if you haven't already done so, um, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4 um, or scroll in your apps. As Doug said, we've been looking at the love of God. We're going to continue to see what John has to say about that. And so as you flip there, think about this. Have you ever had one of those experiences where you think you know what you want, but then when you get it, you realize you weren't quite right? Have you ever had an experience like that? Like one time, I thought I wanted to be able to do 100 push-ups. And so I got this uh, training program, me and a couple buddies, uh, we spent weeks just push-ups, one after the other, and uh, when I got there, we finished it, I could do it, I did 100 push-ups in a row, and I came home, I know, I know, (laughs) Doug, someday you'll get there, okay, (laughs) we'll we'll pray, it's going to... 100 push-ups in a row. I was super excited. I went home and I told Sarah, my wife, hey, babe, I did 100 push-ups in a row today. And she said, oh, that's why your shoulders have been bothering you. (laughs) All right, she said that because she loves me and she's a good wife and she cares about me, but not the response I was looking for, right? It turns out I thought I wanted to do 100 push-ups in a row, but what I really wanted to do was go home and tell my wife, hey, I did 100 push-ups in a row and have her admire my physique, right? (laughs) And tell me how much she admired it. I wasn't asking for a lot, maybe just something like, I never dreamed I'd have a husband who could do that. Can can I touch your muscles, you know? Not much, just something. I thought I wanted to be able to do 100 push-ups, but that wasn't exactly it. Have you ever had an experience like that? Um, Well, my son has, and I'm going to tell you his story, too. Uh, We moved, my family, 
We moved across town in the uh, winter of 2015. And when we did that, my son Jonah, he was three years old, he took it the hardest. And so after we moved, uh, we had this routine, bedtime routine. We laid him in bed. It was the same bed he slept in in the old house. But this new thing started happening. After we laid him in bed, he would just start crying, tears running down his cheeks. And uh, I remember asking him, Jonah, what's wrong, buddy? Why are you crying? And he said, I don't like our new house. I want to go back to our old house. So I knelt down next to him. I'm so sorry, bud. Why don't you like our new house? What's, what's going through your mind? And through tears, as only a three-year-old can say it, he said, uh, our house isn't cool. Our old house was cool. I didn't know what that meant, you know, so you keep asking some questions. It turns out that his three-year-old uh, little heart just didn't feel at home yet in our new house. Um, he was longing for home. And so he's crying when he didn't have that. Um, and so he cries himself to sleep. Well, fast forward. If you would have asked him, um, what is home in that moment? He would have said, my home is our old house. Okay. Now, fast forward uh, about a year and a half, just a few weeks ago. We're sitting at the dinner table and Jonah asked this question. Hey, daddy, when you grow up into a grandpa, he still thinks I'm going to grow too, okay? I'm, it might happen. <laughs> hey, Daddy, when you grow up into a grandpa, where are you going to live? Legit question. I said, I don't know, pal. Uh, maybe right here in this house. And he laughs at me and says, Dad, when I grow up into a daddy, I'm going to live in this house. This is my house. You can't live here too. <laughs> That's a big turnaround. He goes from this house isn't cool to one day I'm going to kick you out because I'm living here forever, right? That's a big change. In, in that moment, if you would have asked him, Jonah, what is home? He would have said, my home is this house. It's right here. You see, his little heart, for him, home is where his family is. It's where his things are, where he spends his time, where he feels comfortable where he feels himself. In that moment, three weeks ago, maybe even today, he would say, my home is our house, this house. The old one is uh, long past. Uh, If he went to our old house expecting to find his home, he'd be disappointed, right? His family's not there. His things aren't there. He'd see strangers. That wouldn't be comfortable. His home, he's learning in his young mind that his home isn't defined by his house. His house is defined by his home. Okay, I want you to get this today. When our hearts long for something defining, we will never be satisfied with just a portion of the definition. Okay? I thought I wanted to be able to do 100 push-ups. That wasn't defining. I wanted my wife to be impressed with me, right? Jonah thought he wanted the old house, but what he really wanted was to feel at home in his bed at night. So I'm going to say it again. When our hearts long for something defining, we'll never be satisfied with just part of the definition. Are you tracking with me? Okay, keep that in mind as we read again um, a little bit from 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 7 and 8. Here's what John writes. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. John wrote, God is love. Now, most people in our culture, whether inside the church or outside the church, I would venture to guess most all of them know that those three words line up in that order in the Bible. For the baby boomer generation, probably one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture was John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? For millennials, it's different. It's probably not John 3.16. Probably one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture is those three words, God is love. But just because something is well-known doesn't mean it's rightly understood, Okay, and so I want to look at this passage, this well-known passage, God is love, and I want to see what it means. But before we talk about what God is love does mean, let me offer just a couple thoughts on what God is love doesn't mean. All right? I'd submit to you today that God is love does not mean love is God. Okay, we can make statements sometimes that are the same both forwards and backwards. If I were to say, Sarah is my wife, that's true. And if we flip it around and I said, my wife is Sarah, that's still true. Sometimes that works, but it doesn't work all the time. For instance, if I said, the sun is hot, that's true. But if you turn that around, hot is the sun, that's not true. Uh, It's not true because there are lots of other things that are hot besides just the sun, right? Molten lava, McDonald's coffee, Dougie in a tank top, right? (laughs) There are lots of things that are hot besides just the sun. Some things are true forwards and backwards. Some things aren't. God is love is not true forward and backwards, and we can see it in Scripture. John wrote in verse 7, Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God. Love is from God. Love is not bigger than God. God is bigger than love. Love is given. God is the giver. Love is what flows. God is the source. Love doesn't define God God defines love. Our hearts were made to, it's important that we get this right, okay? Um, Because our hearts were made to long for God himself, not just his gifts. We can't get this backwards. Jonah cried himself to sleep when he longed for something that was part of the definition of his home and not for home itself, right? And so our hearts get messed up when we get this wrong. And so I want to say it again. Our hearts are made to worship God himself, not just part of him. When our hearts long for something defining, they'll never be satisfied with just part of the definition. And that means love alone will never satisfy us. We need all of God. And so let me just be honest with you. John says God is several other times in the Bible, not just God is love. Let me show you. God is spirit, John 4, 24. God is light, 1 John 1, 5. God is true, 1 John 5, 20. God is love, 
1 John 4. God is all of those things, but none of those things is God. Are you tracking with me? Love is one of many beautiful facets of the character of our God. If you want to know what real love is, if you want to experience the love that you were designed for, if you want to know what that love can do, then you need to go to the God who defines love, okay? And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to go to him and see what that is like. If God is love does not mean love is God, what does it mean? Let's go to the source. Let's look at the Bible again. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The Bible says that in Jesus, God's love was made manifest among us. God's love manifested itself in Jesus. That means it was shown in Jesus. It was put on display in Jesus. Jesus was literally the embodiment of God's love. When we see Jesus, we see God's love. If God wrote a dictionary... Next to the entry on love, you would see a picture of Jesus because God defines love, okay? Um, How does it work that we see God's love in the person of Jesus? John wrote, in this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. How many people have said propitiation last week? One, one. We don't use the word very often, okay? So what does it mean? Propitiation means appeasement or satisfaction. John says that Jesus was propitiation. What did he propitiate? What did he satisfy? Legitimate question. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That means every man and woman who's ever sinned, that's all of us, we are by nature of being sinners headed for death. That's separation from God, his creation, his blessings for forever. Because we're sinners, we deserve a wage and it's death. That's where we're headed. But John is telling us today that Jesus is propitiation. He's the appeasement or the satisfaction that we needed. What does it mean that he's propitiation? It means that though our death sentence had to be carried out and the debt had to be paid, God sent Jesus to pay off our debt, to satisfy the creditor, to appease the judge. God sent Jesus to love us when we had no other way out of a death sentence. That is propitiation. That is love. And God didn't just do it from afar. He became love in flesh and blood to pay off our debt on the cross. If God is love does not mean love is God. I think it means that God in Christ 
is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, though we've all sinned, when we put our faith in Jesus, we're redeemed, restored, and made right with God thanks to our Savior, Jesus Christ. God is love, and we see that most clearly, most vividly, most truly in Jesus. God defines love. It's amazing. This is good news. It's good news that God defines love and that he does it in Jesus. And I want to say, I want to spend the rest of our time saying there's power in that good news. There's power in the good news that God is love to change us, to change our hearts, to change our behavior. So let's finish by looking at the power of God's love to change us. What does it do? Let's go back to 1 John. We'll read verses 17 and 18. Uh, 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Okay, let me start here. What you believe about God matters. What you believe about God affects the mental picture that we have of who he is, doesn't it? If I were to ask you, think about God for a moment, what image comes to your mind? What do you think of? Take a minute. Think about God. What mental picture do you have? I think for many people, a picture that they get would be of God as a judge with a gavel in his hand, and we see him waiting to let that gavel fall and call out guilty when he sees our sin. Any of you, you don't have to answer this with a hand, but any of you feel that way? If you do, I would guess you have uh, thoughts in your heart that would go something like, man, I've got so much stuff. I got to get my life right before I ever connect with God, before I could ever give my life to Jesus. If that's you, I want to say today, 1 John 4 is talking to you. It's good news for you. John says that in love, God sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. That means when we see God, he's not a God waiting for the gavel to fall and cry out guilty. The gavel has already fallen and he's already cried out guilty. And he did it on his son, Jesus. If Jesus was the propitiation for our sins, then we believe that there is no sin that he has not already paid for. Jesus paid for all of my sin and all of your sin when he hung on the cross. And so we don't wait for God to call us guilty anymore. When we put our faith in him, we wait for a father to call us innocent and and want us to be drawn near to him. It matters what we believe about God because it changes our mental picture of him and it can change us today. Let me ask you, do you have hidden sin? This is not just for people who see God as a judge. Do you have sin hidden in your heart? What keeps you from fully living for God? I would venture to say it's sin. What is that? 
in your heart? What is the dark stuff that nobody knows about? Stuff you think you have to get rid of before God would accept you, before you could commit to his church or join a city group, be like everybody else who sits here. What sin is hiding in your heart? I'll tell you, whatever it is, sin like that causes fear. Sin like that causes fear. And we hide sin because we fear consequences. Uh, John says that fear has to do with punishment. We fear the consequences of what we've done. But when we know and believe the love that God has for us, we can see that there is no sin that Jesus hasn't propitiated. None of your sin you have to bear alone. He already bore it. That means uh, God doesn't reject sinners in his son. He redeems them. He casts out fear in love and instead gives us confidence in his forgiveness both for today and for eternity. Church, let me plead with you today. Don't let hidden sin poison your heart any longer, okay? Don't let that happen. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't need to hide sin anymore. You can tell Jesus and he will forgive you. Because God is love, we believe sin really can be and is forgiven, and we can live without fear. We no longer see God as a judge. We see him as a father. Uh, God's love can change us because his love literally casts out fear. You get that? Uh, So God is love means that he sent Jesus to pay for our sins. That's the definition of love. When we get that, uh, we can believe and know that his love drives out fear of punishment. You, You track with that? That's not the only thing it does. I think it also stirs up love in us. Here's the last point today. Uh, let's read 1 John 4, 19 through 21, the very end. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. All right. So where we end, God's love makes us loving. We love because he loved. So if God is love and that changes us, John gives us a test. Is God's love changing you? Okay, how do we know? It's what he says. Do you hate your brother? Is there hate in your heart for your fellow man? Is there? Be honest. It's okay. The logic is simple. Okay, if you can't run a mile... You can't run a marathon. If you can't juggle balls, you can't juggle torches, or you shouldn't try, okay? It's an order of magnitude sort of thing. If you can't do the smaller, easier thing, you can't do the bigger, harder thing, okay? John is saying if we're not loving our brothers, the people around us who we can see, then we're not going to be loving. We're not going to be able to love God who we cannot see, who is not seen. It's an order of magnitude sort of thing. 
If you're experiencing God's love, you will be more loving. Okay, this is just that logic in reverse. If you're experiencing the bigger, harder thing, then we would be doing the smaller, easier thing. Okay, you get it? God makes us more loving. Um, So, as a church, as disciples of Jesus, we should be asking ourselves all the time, am I growing in love for the people around me? Am I an ever more loving person? Is the list of people who make my blood boil getting longer or shorter? Right? We should be asking ourselves these things. And so an anonymous survey, one question. Don't raise your hands, just answer in your heart. Is your love for the people around you growing, slowing, or stagnant? Be honest with yourself. Is your love for the people around you growing, slowing, or stagnant? If you said growing, praise God. I think that's true. I think there are people uh, who are following Jesus who do have an ever-growing love for the people around them because the Bible says that's going to happen. And we see it all the time in our church. Let me give you an example. Uh, Just days ago, maybe a week ago, there was a guy in our church who was at Citigroup, and he said, I got a procedure um, next week, and I'm going to use Uber, pay an Uber driver to drive me to the hospital. And somebody else in his city group said, oh, don't pay an Uber driver, I'll take you. And he said, well, my uh, appointment, uh, I got to be there at like 6.30 in the morning. That's pretty early, we'd have to leave. And he said, oh, I don't care, I'll take you. People are getting up before the sun to take care of each other and show each other love. Okay, that's a big deal, at least for me. I have a hard time getting up before the sun. Uh, But they're doing that. That's love. And we believe that if God is love and he sent his son to love us, he's sending us to love the people around us. The Bible says that. It's happening. Praise God. If you said growing, ride that train hard and get others to jump on board with you. Okay, we want to see that happen. But I don't think that's everybody here. Um, If you're not experiencing a season of growth in love for the people around you, you probably answered slowing or stagnant, right? And if that's you, my response would be, praise God. That's not easy to admit. It takes some real self-reflection to say, yeah, I don't think that's true of me. And if I'm honest with you all, my heart goes through seasons in all three categories, Okay? It's, it's not once you get there, you're always there. We have to constantly be uh, being formed by God's love. And so let me give you a couple thoughts from God's word. If you answered slowing or stagnant, if your love for the people around you is not growing, let me give you a couple thoughts from God's word about what we can do, how that changes. Okay, first thought, spend time with Jesus. Read God's word. Pray To him. John said, Love is from God. We cannot give something that we don't have. And if we don't have love, there's no better place to get it than straight from the source. So spend time with Jesus. John says that when we spend time with Jesus, he calls it literally abiding in God, dwelling in, living in God's love. When we do that, God's love is perfected in us. It takes its course in our hearts. And so if your love isn't growing for the people around you, spend time with Jesus. Uh, Ask him for his love. Maybe you need to ask him for his love for the first time ever, today. I'm 
I'm pleading with you, do that. He will respond. The Bible says, turn to him and he will turn to you. He answers prayers. He delivers on his promises. If you want to grow in love for the people around you, spend time with Jesus, the definer of love. Okay? Thought number one, we spend time with Jesus. Thought number two, spend time with people. To love people, you got to spend time with people. Okay? Uh, Sarah and I, we have this uh, rhythm of regular date nights. And we've entered this new season of life where it can be just as much fun to send our kids to the babysitter and then go back home, stay in and relax in a quiet, peaceful house as it is to go out on date night, okay? I don't know when this happened, but uh, we made this transition recently. So there's always this temptation. It's date night. Should we stay in? Should we go out? Well, last week we decided we're going to go out. And so we uh, went and ate at Qdoba, and then we walked through a mattress store. I know what you're thinking. Dude, you took your wife to a mattress store for date night? Real Lance romance she's got, you know, on her hands. Listen, don't judge me, okay? We went cheap when we bought our mattress 10 years ago. It's time for a new one. She enjoyed it. We went to the mattress store. In any case, all right, uh, there was one other couple there and a salesman. And so uh, we're walking around. It's kind of awkward to just lay on bed after bed with your wife in public, you know, with other people there. I don't know. It's just me. Um, so I'm going, we're testing out all these beds, and I'm trying to think of whatever I can do. And there's uh, this other couple talking, and so I just start eavesdropping, because that's who I am. And it turns out that they, uh, they just moved to town. They don't know anybody, and they have nothing in their house. And so they had slept on the floor the night before. This was day two in Council Bluffs. They'd slept on the floor the night before. She has some sort of back problem, and she was in a lot of pain. And so they needed a mattress, and they were looking at mattresses, and the salesman said, oh, well, um, all of the deliveries for the whole weekend are booked up. So even if you buy it, we can't get it to your house. And she's pretty bummed. He's trying to figure out, is there a way? And so Sarah and I were laying on a bed just next, you know, down the line. So we have a little pillow talk. And I'm like, hey, babe, uh, I think we can do something about this, right? We got a truck. Maybe we could loan it to them so that they could get this mattress to their house. Um, And so we agree. Okay, let's do that. And so I walked over. Hey, I don't know you. Sounds like you need this. Um, I've got a truck. If you want to borrow it, uh, you're welcome to it. Here's my phone number. Just give me a call. They were so grateful, and they actually took us up on the offer. He borrowed my truck. Listen, we never would have got to do that. We never would have got to show them love if we would have stayed in and watched Netflix. To show people love, you actually have to be around people, all right? And so first thought, if you're not growing in love for those around you, spend time with Jesus. Second thought, spend time with people. Get out and be around people. And if you wonder, how do I do that? I'd encourage you, again, jump into a city group. We love city groups around here for a thousand reasons. One of them is you jump into a city group, you're going to spend time with real people who have real lives and real needs. And I know that you'll find opportunities and ways to show them the love of God. Listen, this is why this is important. We are growing as a church. And as we grow as a church, it's getting easier to be just a face in the crowd, to sneak in and sneak out. And I don't 
ever want to become just a crowd. We want to be a family. It's one of the identities that we have as a church. People since the beginning have come here for the first time and they've said to us, without us provoking it, this feels like a family. And as we grow, we're going to have to be more intentional about maintaining that, about connecting with each other, about being a family. And to do that, we have to be a family of families. We have to be a gathering of gatherings where people come here to connect, but they connect at a city group throughout the week with people who know them and do life with them and show them the love of Jesus. If we want to be a people who continue to show the world around us the love of the Savior, if we want them to see the one who defines love, then we must be living with, spending time with Jesus and with people around us, okay? City Life, God is love. He's not defined by love. He defines love. And his love, when we know it and believe it, it changes us. It changes our beliefs about him, and it changes our behaviors for him, okay? I'm gonna read one more time what John wrote. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Oh, City Light, let's be a people who know the love of God and show the love of God to the world around us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.